Welcome to Frantically Speaking's podcast, Beyond Hard Skills. I'm your host, Radeep, and here's where we discuss what it takes to make it in your career beyond degrees, technical skills, and hard work. Let's get started. On today's episode, we have Shahrukh Zaheer, who's the CEO of RightFit Advisors. With his years of experience in recruiting, this makes it the perfect episode to talk about what it takes to land a job, stay in it for the long term and fit into the culture. We're also going to be discussing from the manager's perspective on how to create healthy working cultures and grow strong teams. Hope you enjoyed this insightful episode. Sharab, thank you so much for joining us on Beyond Heart Skills. How's the new you in these past couple of weeks? Uh, thanks for having me, Hardeep. It's been great. Uh, you know, it's New Year's always exciting. It just brings a lot of hope and momentum with everybody that is around. So, you know, it's it's off to a great start. Fantastic. So I have introduced you before this episode began. Obviously, we've spoken before, so I have a bit of an understanding on your story. But why don't you give us a slightly larger perspective? How did you get to where you are today? Tell us a little bit about your company and why is it that you're passionate about your current work? Yeah, um, so I guess I'll I'll really back to my first job ever, which was my first business at the age of 17 um, when I was working in a mall um, in San Diego. Um, and uh, that allowed me to just hone in on these personnel skills and EQ skills that I think just really set the benchmark for me that I've been able to leverage since that time onwards and have only increased and improved on that skill. And what it did was when working in retail uh, at that time was it allowed me to learn how to communicate well with people, how to really understand what they're looking for, what their needs and wants are, and then, then provide them a solution. So over the years, I didn't even recognize that I actually had that as a skill and it is even considered as a skill. Um, uh, and then, uh, you know, through my time, owned businesses, uh, sold companies and worked for corporate America. Um, and, you know, through that time, I've continuously every single opportunity and the position I was in, I've always focused on recognizing needs and wants and aligning folks that are where they can find those needs and wants. So um, when recruiting came along, um, once I got tired of retail and um, I decided to want to transition to something different, recruiting came along. And uh, at that time, it was just a no brainer to sort of transition into a position where my job is truly to understand what people are looking for, where they want to be in five years and help them find opportunities where they can they can uh, find that and, and get that. Um, so been doing that for many years. I actually ran a pretty large, uh, successful team. And uh, last year, we uh, I went independent and we started RightFit Advisors, which is the first artificial intelligence staffing firm in, in the country. And what we do differently is that not only do we focus now on talent, which is what any traditional staffing company does, we really focus on 
personalities. And our focus is to ensure that we are really understanding what somebody's personality's mission and ethos is so that when we match them with an organization that has similar motives and goals, then in the end, the synergy is just organic and you don't have to attempt and try for it. So that's really it. So it's been exciting. It's it's kind of a cliche, but I love what I do because it allows me to help people find jobs where they're happy and can be more successful and can thrive. And, uh, and I just take my job very seriously from there. That, that sounds so interesting. Could, could you give us an example about matching a person's personality to a company? Of course, we don't have to mention any names over here, but yeah. what, what does that look like in terms of a tangible example? Right. So, um, so, so I guess I'll tell you a little bit about our process. What we did was that when we were starting off RightFit Advisors, the goal was retention and culture. And that was a big focus for us and making sure that people truly find that in organizations because we saw that if people feel that they're part of a group where they belong and they don't really like to leave or look outside, even though they're people that will reach out to them or organizations that will say, hey, we will pay you more because it's not about money anymore. It's about the sense of belonging. And and humans thrive on that no matter what happens. A lot of 95% of decisions human make are emotional decisions. So when we talk about hiring and looking for people, we were looking for solutions that will provide that kind of context. So what we did, RightFit Advisors, we acquired a 40-year-old clinical study uh, that was done on human psychology that allowed us to, uh, in which we align with our machine learning um, algorithm. And what it does for us is that it allows us to create different kind of personalities and understand what somebody's personalities are. Now, what we did was that our, our machine learning uh, algorithm understands that there are 20 different types of personalities in, in, the, in the world, and there are a lot more, but uh, and they there are actually four categories and then there are five uh, subcategories through each. So our goal is that whenever we are looking to match anyone, we are looking to not find somebody who would be an absolute copy of who you are, how you articulate, how you problem solve. What we want to do is find somebody that can complement what you're not doing and complement the sides so that it's not necessarily this like locker room sort of um, culture. It's uh, where everybody is the same way, everybody thinks the same way, because I think that that can only grow a company so long and then it plateaus. But what it does is that it, uh, it offsets the type of personality, which will not clash with the, with the group, but actually complement in ways that where uh, the organization is lacking. So when we go through a process with our or with the clients that we work with, we have our CTOs and CEOs, decision makers, and direct supervisors go through these assessments and we ask all of our candidates to go through the same model so that we are really understanding that we are aligning and matching them in the right way. Got it, got it. That that sounds very, very I, I, I can ask you many more questions on the business itself, but I'll stray away from the topic. So I, I'll get into a little more specific stuff with regard to our podcast over here. When it comes to, since you're an expert in this space, obviously, since the past couple of years, actually more than a couple of years, there have been mass layoffs happening and you would be very familiar with that situation. Yeah. Now, if somebody has been affected by it. 
how do they get themselves job ready besides so of course everyone goes to the usual stuff of revamping their cvs and brushing up the interview skills but it seems like there's so much more to making yourself yeah. job ready how do you do that when yeah. you have the bills to pay and you need to get that in place what are the best steps that anyone can take on a practical level i mean hardeep it's been an interesting few years we saw after 2020 there was a mass re- uh, great resignation era where people were just resigning and leaving the organization and then last year we saw a high layoff se- season from all these large organizations and you know one of the things that did for so many people was it kind of hindered and broke their trust in organizations and um in a way where they feel that you know they might have they they worked so hard and there was no real closure and when they just got an email or they recognized that they couldn't log into their computer and uh that's how they found out that they no longer have age position and so one of the conversations that we have had quite a bit in the last year is that hey look like i know that a lot of organizations and some larger organizations which are perceived as a secure like uh, a decision making or secure more stable choice um are the kind of organizations you want to trust and want to chase but you know be open to going into an organization where you know technical alignment is there but you know you're really looking for individuals that are truly looking to invest in you and are interested in your personal growth because um you know it is relevant for for organization to make candidates feel that way and it is important for candidates to sort of um uh, make sure that that's how they are uh, marketing themselves of course they'll have to interview people of course they will have to be at their level best but um when people don't have jobs a lot of times they make desperate decisions or they're too concerned to perhaps not ask the right question because they just at that point just want to get back in the workforce but i think that you know the right way of doing things so that you're truly happy for any person would be to make sure that the organization that they're matching with truly does align with what they want and if that's not the case that they should wait and continue to uh, to this interview and what if someone's facing the problem of not being able to match itself right because there are yeah. so many people who are qualified who just aren't getting those opportunities so what comes before that is there anything that they can do or is it more like okay you make sure your cv is proper you make sure you're putting out your name as much as possible and then it then let the universe take care of it is it like that or is there anything right. else we can control So my advice every single time with individuals is um that to make sure that every single time you're applying for a position that you are truly sitting there and taking a moment to 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 align the resume that matches the job description and I think that uh you know I was having this conversation with somebody uh just this morning 4 years ago this was a really hefty ask because you'd have to physically manually go in and change things but now there are so many ai tools that you can leverage to literally throw in the job description and then throw in your resume and it can rewrite your resume that will sort of align with what you're looking for and that that task now does not take more than few minutes so my my suggestion is in order for us to continue to apply for positions make sure that you are more um strategic about the first positions you're applying and why do you feel uh, that your scope of work of the things that you have done could directly be leveraged at their job so if you're able to do that your odds of 
you know, getting those bites is what I call, or the first interview are much, much higher. And uh, that's something we recommend and suggest to all of the folks that we work with. That's amazing. Any any names of any AI tools that someone can check out or should they, should they just Google it directly? Uh, ChatGPT is there. There's Bard. Um, you know, those are the two big ones. They're, they're really easy tools. They are free tools. And, you know, um, I think that you can, anybody should be, should be leveraging that right now. You know, in the world of AI, when AI is everywhere, um, I don't think AI is the solution for the world, but it is a tool that should be leveraged. And, you know, either today or in three years from now, everybody will onboard and, and will jump on the bandwagon. So there's no harm, there's no point of resisting. And I think everybody should just uh, adapt it and, you know, leverage that as much as possible. Correct. Moving to the next step, right? If we were to talk about cultures, which is one of your main areas of expertise, when somebody does get into a company, how do managers and leaders ensure that they're creating a safe, inclusive working environment? Now, when I ask this question, I know that nobody will claim to not be inclusive, to not be open-minded and diverse, right? So everyone tries to communicate that across and uh, has the PR campaigns and the internal newsletters going out. But on, on a deep level, on a very realistic level, what can a manager do to make a company culture safe? And just one more thing to add over there is that when you're joining a company, especially the one that is big, it's it's not a startup. It's not just about the company culture because every team will have their own micro cultures to it as well. So Absolutely. how does a manager, man, a manager who's taking care of about 15 to 30 people, what can they do to ensure that they're creating safe cultures? I think that that's a really good question. And there are a few different ways to do that for a manager to do that. I'll start, start talking about smaller organizations, smaller teams first, and then I'll talk about larger ones. I think the one thing that's really important in smaller teams is just really understanding that how are you spending time with your team together and what kind of activities you're doing. So one of the biggest focus in the last couple of years that I've been a big advocate for, and I encourage the clients we work with is to do is do activity um, outside of work that is somewhere of corporate responsibility kind of activities, which is giving back to the local community um, beyond just going out for drinks with your team, just doing something that is good that feels good to your team and that could be done by just doing a quick survey or a close check of what kind of impact or what kind of mission anybody want to support within an organization and then really just to whatever provides the highest sort of like rate or, or the vote then you're able to just kind of attempt those kind of tasks and uh, create those kind of activities for your team i think that it increases a really high uh, you know, team building momentum within organizations because it is not to do with revenues. It is not to do with productivity. It is truly to do with something that you're doing for individuals around you and um, giving back in, in that way. And the social responsibility is just so, so important for smaller organizations. Now, for bigger organizations, um, you know, you could, um, you know, 500, 600 people, uh, what we recommend is creating different kind of diversity or just types of different groups within an organization where um, people are a part of 
it could be as little as a, a chess group. It just could, it doesn't have to be anything substantial, but folks that are just meeting in to just play chess or folks that are just meeting in to come up with some brainstorming ideas of things that they like. It doesn't have to be politics. It doesn't have to be global support, though that is relevant and larger organizations are really good with really identifying and putting in their mission that what are they supporting and how they're supporting it. But I think just to create that culture of of uh, collaboration and uh, having to create a sense of belonging, it is important to create some kind of subgroups within organizations uh, that just allows people to feel that they're not they're not just a part of a bigger organization, but they're a part of something smaller and something intimate. Okay, so you're saying that companies and managers should encourage things that kind of like extracurriculars that we would have called absolutely. Them. Absolutely. And, you know, back in the days, it was just easier to say, let's just throw a happy hour once a week or once every other week, and that's okay. But, you know, the world is changing so much that now people are recognizing that not everybody cares about happy hours anymore or drinking in that manner. And people want to do other things. Some people are all about fitness and they would rather do go hiking or they would rather go bowling or it could be a lot of other things so there it is much easier to kind of create those kind of activities so that they're they're more smaller intimate and people that have similar kind of interests are coming together and doing such things um and that could be it it could be that once a week everybody just meets for a coffee right and all and you just bring different type of coffee and everybody's just sitting there and just talking about how much they appreciate coffee so it doesn't have to be anything big i i think that the the word culture could look very overwhelming to a lot of organizations and it puts a lot of in um, unnecessary pressure on people to create it. Uh, culture could be done in such a small scale and so organically, because in the end, it is just about having an opportunity for just like for you and I to just sit down and talk and getting to know each other and just bonding on things that we both are passionate about and which is one or two things. And, you know, we're best friends. Right. So those are the kind of conversations I feel that a lot of larger organizations just lack because you just become a, a such a, a part of such a big ecosystem that you don't feel like you you know you you you're really that valuable and feel like a number so that's kind of the things that you could do in larger organizations you mentioned about going out for happy hours and hiking and trekking and everything right that that yeah. sounds like some that sounds something very tangible that a manager could just do right now yeah. although one question that i foresee somebody having which I would have had as well, is that how do you draw the balance between getting close? Because you are getting personal with somebody when you, when you do that, when you right. go out for happy hours, when you go hiking or whatever it might be. Right. Now, if you're the manager and you need to have those difficult conversations eventually with someone who's an underperformer or someone who needs to just be communicated with, yeah. how do you draw that line? Is it is it just about the moment or is there something that I can do in terms of my approach to ensure that, hey, this is me doing the extracurricular thing, but this is when it comes down to work, it's about work. Any thoughts over that? Yeah. So I feel like new generation of workers, which I consider modern professionals, um, they understand uh, the distinguish between 
work and and personal life. And I think that the newer generation identifies that and can define that much, much easier than feel up folks like 10, 15 years ago. And for for the newer generation, it is much easier to tell people and be able to bond with them and then also have this professional conversation, which is about their personal growth or performance. Now, one of the things that the managers have to do now differently and a bit more strategically, uh, which is how do you intertwine the motivations and the conversations you have had on personal time that you understand about people and really align that with their work motivations and work goals as well? So I feel like having these intimate conversations can only allow managers to be able to have a much in-depth conversation and much more meaningful in the conversation because now they're able to relate with people um, not only just personally but as their mentors as their as somebody that you know would always be there to make sure that they're successful and um, are only there to make sure that they thrive at where they are and that is a part of your manager that is the job of your manager to do that so um, you know I think that if anything this opens more roads and opportunities for people to to be better and have more more productive conversations. Makes sense. And what about people who are like me? My company is completely remote. So right. I've always found a challenge to build culture because if we can't do happy hours, we can't go hiking and everything. So Correct. what about people like me? Yeah, that's that's a question that um, has been an issue with a lot of organizations. And I feel that's the reason that so many organizations are now wanting people to come in on site at least a few days a week. And I know it is seen as such a negative thing, but a lot of organizations just wants to build relationships with people and and kind of have some kind of a loyalty of employee people in, in that regard. So there's that issue of remote where, you know, that is so hard to do. I always tell people, and uh, this is something that one of my, my clients did last year is I recommended that, that why don't we do this, not an annual thing, but maybe every six months we go in and we, we do an event together. Let's say that we attend a convention together and the entire team is encouraged to come and be there for three days or four days. And everybody's there, they're learning, they're growing and they're doing something together as even though it's not every single day, but spending that time together, having fun, building those activities, and just making sure that everybody's having those things will allow you to create the relationship that you're looking for. And um, that is something that people have done. I've also seen another client that every quarter would actually uh, have their managers fly in to one of their team members' city and work with them out of a working space for two, three days, and whoever else wants to come, the company will pay for it. So it wasn't a mandatory thing, but it was just this team building activity that, hey, you get to go to Los Angeles for free and stay there for three days and get to work with the rest of your team. Um, and do you want to do that? So there are different things that if organizations wants to invest in, they could do if they take culture seriously. Uh, it just depends on how, how much do they care about it. But I think that things could be done where it is not completely remote and a complete absolute disconnect. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it, it is still a challenge for somebody who is working pan country if i have people in different different cities then that is going to be a challenge unless there's a huge investment of 
getting everybody to fly absolutely down. yeah i mean organizations that have to care about that so if organizations care about about culture then they have to make sure that they're keeping their things their people together right so as much as and uh, an employee wants to be a part of a culture it is so unfortunate but it is not necessarily in in their control it is that your manager or the organization you're part of they personally have to put their employees and their culture first and if they're doing that then there are ways where you're able to do these meet and greets where you are able to come and meet now it, it won't be an every month kind of a thing, but it doesn't necessarily have to. A quality time could be done. You know, you meet with some of your friends and you only meet them once a year. You just talk to them once a few months and that's it. That's all you need to get your fix, but you're still connected. And next time you talk to them, you pick up where you left off, right? So those kind of relationships could be built um, over time, not overnight, but there are events that could be done where it is done, uh, where people are traveling and are meeting. And that is something that uh, many people would not mind doing as long as there's value provided, right? So, hey, we're going to a convention, we're going to learn something, and we're going to meet over people. Hey, we're building a new feature, so let's just go there, let's meet people, and collaborate together and just do that or whatever else that synergy would be. So things along those lines. Fantastic. That makes sense. If you were to move over a little further into an employee's journey after they get into yeah. a company, you see the culture and then move ahead. In terms of retention, which is another area that you're very familiar with. Now there are two sides to retention. One is the employee and the other is the manager. So let's start with the management perspective. I'm going to give you throw a situation at you. Okay. So, students tend to ask us this, and from both perspectives, one is that the situation remains the same itself. I'm an employee who's been working hard for the past one year in this new company, and I feel like I've performed quite exceptionally. Now, the company gives a standard 10% increment, for example, every year, sure. but I feel I've worked quite hard. I feel I deserve a 15%. So, I go to my manager and I tell him this. And he says, or she says that, yes, that's true. You have worked quite hard. Let me talk to the board about it. But then they come back and they have to deliver the bad news that, hey, that's, that's not, you're still going to get just 10%. Now, how do I as a manager ensure that even though that other person is not getting the money that they wanted to, they're still going to be in the company and they're going to be happy over here? What are some yeah. retention strategies I can apply beyond salary? Yeah. So, so, so co compensation aside, this, this is actually one of the biggest issue that we, we still face. Even last year with all of these layoffs, about 60% of the, the internal HR teams complain about the fact that retention still stayed as one of the ongoing issues with a lot of organizations. So, you know, when compensation is not there, there's a lot of other ways you can actually encourage people to, to feel, feel excited about what they're doing. You know, a lot of times when you get a raise, it is a sense of a validation. Yes, there's like a financial increment that allows you to sort of like do finer things in life or better things in life or more things in life. But in the end, if you're not able to provide them their raise, you, you know, give them a title bump provide them a responsibility or provide them a recognition or an award within a, a company. Uh, or you can also just say, hey, well, this is something you've done. You have outperformed everybody else. Here you go. Why don't you take four more days off and go enjoy? It, there could be ways that 
people understand that we are being recognized and valued in an organization. And there are a, a lot of ways to do it in those regards of either up, or you can also say that, hey, look, like I can't give you a raise, but we have a next training coming in our organization. I'd love to advocate and ask my, my upper management to have you be sent there to attend, to upscale yourself, to, to improve in your career. So those are all the different things you could do. So upscaling, recognition, or just giving some extra time off are three ways that you're able to have people feel valued if it's not just compensation. That's amazing. I, I had I had thought of the vacation days. I never thought of the training aspect of it. And that, that's, I think, the simplest to do. No, actually, vacation would be the simplest, but this is also quite easy to do as such because trainings are happening yeah. all the time. Yeah, just put mm -hmm. more people into it. That will give them a higher degree of validation in terms of the work that that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, as long as uh, it is something I recommend uh, the our candidates, job seekers, is you know when you're interviewing, two things you have to ask your manager is for culture is you know what do you do as a group together to uh, to make an impact in an organ uh, for your local community, and that's for the culture. And the second question you should ask is what kind of trainings and personal growth I will get here if I were to meet all my milestones and my expectations, because, you know, nobody, the gone are the days that everybody came in and they clocked in and they did their job and they clocked out and they're like, I'm happy. Now people want to continue to grow. People want to continue to evolve. People know that if they don't do that, especially in technology, that they will become obsolete. So trainings, certifications are a great way to, for retention. Amazing. And if you were to flip it over to the other perspective, when it comes to a, when it comes to the employee, now what happens very often is that we work, we work, we work, and we are expecting a reward towards the end. And we often think that the work will speak for itself. That's not the that's not the reality of the situation nine out nine out of ten times. And when we go and we ask for that raise and don't get it, that makes us feel quite demotivated. What? Yeah tactics or ideas would you recommend to somebody that they can hit their remuneration milestones? Because I believe yeah. it's don't think about towards the year end. It's something you need to think about from the beginning itself. And you need to communicate. 100%. So what 100%. are your I agree with you. Uh, so over the years, I still uh, engage with folks that I've placed, even uh, going as far as four years that every year we connect when it's their annual review to sort of understand how we're going to get uh, a better compensation, a raise or a bonus. So I always tell people to whenever internally you made an impact in your organization that a, either improved a solution or increased um, retention of clients or improved productivity within the organization, I always suggest people to write it down and always talk about it. And whenever they go into this conversation, instead of just going in and telling people what they have done, first ask what they, where does their supervisor see them? What are ways that they can improve? And just really understand that and get that all out of their system. Because once you have done that, it allows you to be able to then grow. Um, and then, then you can go back and talk about all of your highlights and all of the things that you have done. And 
when you do that, then, you know, you're kind of on this higher momentum of like, okay, well, I got the feedback. These are all the great things I've done. Now let's talk about what's next for me. So I fully understand the way areas of me improvement. Now I've told you all the added value brought to the company, but based on those two things, you know, you knowing me and understanding that I'm somebody who will actually achieve that in next three months or four months, you know, what should I be entitled for right now? Um, and I think it's important, even when starting a position, is understanding what the how is a success defined in a position. So one of the recommendations I always have for interviewers on the last interview is how do you define my success in 60 days, 90 days, six months, and one year? Um, and it is important for people to understand that um, a lot of times these answers or these questions are not necessarily as in-depth, but, you know, in four months or six months, ask for a review, even though your organization doesn't do it. Ask them, hey, I'd like to just sit down and, and reassess to see where you, how I'm doing and be proactive about it. If you proactively want a raise, then you should be asking for it. That's so true. I feel so many people wait by the book that, oh, the review will happen now, so I'll do it now. Not the way. Keep doing it till you yeah. get it. And I love what you said, that set your goals with your manager from the beginning itself so that there's no misalignment in terms of the expectations and then there's a lesser chance of people being upset towards the end. Love that. Absolutely. My final question for you, I'm going to ask you something very specific because we are a communications training company. So what I want to yes. know from you, Sharuk, is that what do you think in your experience? Because you've had a lot of experience in different areas. What do you think is the one communication skill that you would regard above everything else? I know there are many, but give me one. Having the ability to listen. Um, and I, I think it's extremely, extremely important to 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 listen and understand people. Um, it just does wonders. I, I always tell people uh, is whenever they give me an answer, um, you know, I want to ask and dig deeper two or three more times and ask them again why, because it, it is really then that you get to understand somebody's thought process, which is not just um, high level, but in depth. And once you understand it, I, I think that, you know, anything could be resolved once you know what the problem is, the real one. That's amazing. Love that. Shahrukh, thank you so much for coming here. It's been a pleasure. This conversation has been quite insightful. I would love to have people know where can they find you if they want to connect with you, anything that you want to talk about in terms of upcoming projects. Please go ahead. The floor is all yours. Absolutely. Um, RightFit Advisors, we are based in Atlanta, Georgia, but we do, we do serve both talent and organizations nationwide in the U.S. Um, you can find us at RightFitAdvisors.com. Um, it will tell you more about our AI process and our solution and our offerings. And you can also ca uh, find me on LinkedIn, which is uh, would be my first name and last name, Shark Zahir. Um, and um, at RightFit Advisors, if you go there, you can find us there. We are also on Twitter um, as well as Instagram and Facebook. So, um, you know, it's RightFit Advisors everywhere and you should be able to find us. And if anybody has any questions about wanting to have any kind of resume reviews or any kind of guidance on consultations and how to improve their process, um, our advisors are on standby waiting for you. Amazing. Shadok, thank you so much. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. 
I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for being with us to the end. If you found this useful, do share it with someone who might benefit from it. And if you're looking for more communication and soft skill tips, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Lastly, if you would like a step-by-step process to improve upon your communication skills to accelerate your career growth, you can go on our website and book a free communication consultation call with me. Thank you for joining us and I'll see you next time. Thank you.